Now, where did I put it? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox, where we discuss the tools we utilize every day. Yours to use or toss, it's up to you. But I hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tools to the Toolbox. I have uh, another outstanding guest, and as you know, I'm Chance Burles, and we're going to get kicked off right away, same way as I always do it, with who are you, and what is your military background? Well, thanks for having me on, of course, Chance, and uh, My pleasure. I'll start with uh, where it all began. Uh, when I graduated mm -hmm. high school, uh, I joined the military in 1983. Uh, after six months in infantry battle school, I continued on to my first posting, which was with 1PPCLI. Over the course of 13 years, uh, I served in many units, uh, 1 PPCLI, 2 Commando in the Airborne Regiment, Pathfinder Platoon, the Skyhawks, 3 PPCLI, and finally I finished off in JTF2. Uh, I retired as a warrant officer after 13 years of service. And uh, along the way, I held various ranks, uh, roles, and responsibilities, I guess. Um, all of those would be typically associated with those kind of units and organizations. Mm. Mm. I guess the standout moments in my career uh, would mostly revolve around JTF2, uh, but there are actually many other important milestones. Uh, certainly, <clears throat> I guess the one that first comes to mind is uh, very early on in my reconnaissance patrolman course. Um, it was the first really hard course that I did, and I hadn't been in the Army too long. And it was actually that course that made me realize what I like to do and kind of pointed me towards maybe what I might be good at. Um, and I guess that more directed focus uh, helped set me on a path towards my Pathfinder course and my Sniper course. And, and I guess uh, those ultimately oriented my compass needle towards uh, JTF2 and becoming a Special Operations uh, Assaulter and Special Operations Sniper. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess looking back on it all, um, I was super fortunate to walk that path. Uh, it taught me so much. Uh, but yeah. I guess uh, more important than that uh, would be uh, all the in super inspiring humans that I met along the way. And uh, they kind of continuously reshaped my sense of what's possible uh, mentally, yeah. emotionally, and, and, and physically. So my military yeah. background was uh, quite diverse and, and reasonably uh, uh, adverse. Uh, but uh, again, along the way, it, it showed me what people are capable of and more importantly, I guess what? I'm capable of, and, and that set yeah. me up for the rest of my life. That's fantastic. So what was, when you're, when you're up at the hill with the JTF guys, that would have been in the nineties, right? That's right. Not a whole lot going on. Kosovo, Bosnia, were you doing anything secret squirrel special stuff or was it just mostly training, hanging out? Oh, that's a good question. So when I joined JTF two or that's that's a poor terminology. When I got badged in to JTF two, <laughs> um, at the time uh, it it I was a plank holder, so I was one of the originals. 
uh, oh, wow. which uh, for, for those who don't know, it's a term that is used for um, the team members who started up the unit. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in 3PPCLI, a memo went out, uh, forces wide, uh, and basically the memo was written exactly for a guy like me. And it went along the lines of, uh, we can't tell you what you're going to be doing. We can't tell you how hard it's going to be, but it's going to be super hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I was yeah. all in. Uh, so uh, when, I, when I went through the various phases of selection process, I was, like all of us, uh, in those very, very early days, um, we we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. We just knew we were going to go for it. Um, mm -hmm. And when I did get badged into the uh, teams, um, shortly after that, I was uh, moved over uh, pretty quickly to a special operations sniper um, to help form up or help be part of that uh, startup um, mm -hmm. organized sub sub unit within the unit, um, and so during my time there, uh, I, as we all were, uh, I was extremely busy trying to learn the job, trying to do the job, and trying to create more uh, capabilities within the unit or within the job uh, to move mm -hmm. us forward towards the tasks that were starting to come our way. Yeah, it's uh, that's a tough lane to sit in too when you want to develop the skill sets that, that are in the units and say, you know, what what else could we be asked to do? What else could, you know, what what jobs could be coming down the pipe? How do we get that into the into the units? I tried to do that in one uh, CR a couple of times. I wanted to get a breaching uh, cell built into the unit because it's one thing that as the engineers, it's supposed to be our job. And, uh, <laughs> we don't do it a lot. So it was always, uh, it was always like a secondary. Sometimes when we were doing Fibula, they would be like, oh, by the way, you would technically be, you know, the method of entry expert. How would you take this door? And we're like, uh, C4, lots of C4, C4. Yeah, that's a hundred. And that would be the answer up until I took, uh, the breaching portion on my fives and i was like man this is a skill set nobody has we need to like push it into the unit and you're fighting against uh you know what's normal i guess at the hill it would be a little different because you'd be uh with the unit being stood up you're looking for jobs <laughs> would it yeah be? yeah that's uh that was very much the case uh the difference that you're the comparison that you're making uh, are almost polar opposites um, mm. In the sense that uh, when we started up the unit, uh, and I say we, I, I, I only referred myself as being part of it, um, mm. we were fortunate enough to not really fully understand what we were going to be doing the next day, but we knew that we had the resources and the support uh, to be able to take on that next day in a way that we thought was appropriate to keep moving the skill sets forward. So yeah. I don't want to use that cliche term. Uh, we were given a blank check, but it kind of was that way in the early years. Yeah. yeah. 
I, you know, I had a buddy of mine tell me that the military should be a black hole of money and that it's like break in case of war chest kind of deal and that we should be left to figure it out and just train up the best way we can. But I always said, you know, Occam's razor, or is it Occam's razor? Yeah. The, uh, uh, power, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Um, I believe anyway, okay. I, that's not Occam's razor. No, it isn't. Razor is strip off the non-essential. Right. Yeah. Yes. That's the, uh, the simplest answer is you, usually the simplest answer is the end, something like that. Anyway, you're applying it right now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I, I always thought that, you know, it'd be better to have the training budget to be able to do whatever we wanted. But at the same time, if we had that kind of money, we would just have really expensive office equipment in the unit. Yeah. Than... Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know if there's an easy solution there, uh, certainly for us when we're forming up the team, the unit, um, it, it was a lot of like-minded individuals, mm-hmm. uh, who were, um, who were already pre-motivated to push the envelope and being surrounded mm-hmm. by, uh, like-minded people just simply added gasoline to the fire. And so we were always working at a 10 out of 10 and we were always focused on doing it better with a mm-hmm. higher vision, uh, of, um, something bigger than we were at that time. Uh, so yep. it was always kind of reaching for the stars and, and every morning we'd build a new spacecraft and, and hit the big red button and launch it and see where it took us and how far we got into the stratosphere. Yeah. That's a great mindset to have too, to be able to just say, fuck it, let's see what happens. And then yeah. Yeah, make and, adjustments on that. And and uh, it was a quite a unique situation, of course, because to my left and right were guys who were arguably more capable and competent than I was. And so being surrounded by awesome dudes who like to push it hard and our only limitations were self-imposed and there was very little of that, um, really just came down to trying to make it as safe as possible while still pushing hard. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of individual effort combined into a like-minded cell, um, is, is a really powerful thing. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So you, you've been out since 90, like late nineties, 98, 99. Yeah, that's right. I I got out in uh, the late nineties. And what do you, what have you been doing in the meantime? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I left the military 25 years ago and, uh, I've, gone through a number of careers for a number of different reasons. Um, always kind of looking to challenge myself, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so 25 years ago, when I left the teams, I initially went and taught at uh, a police college. Um, and I did that for about a year and, uh, I was looking for something else. I, I wanted a completely mm-hmm. different uh, environment. So I went back into school and, uh, I studied to become a computer system engineer. And, uh, and when I, when I was successful in that program, um, because I had a strong military background in course delivery, um, mm-hmm. I spent the next couple of years actually teaching uh, computer system engineering to, uh, day classes and, and night classes. 
um, mm. uh, super busy uh, with that. Um, but eventually I got uh, a, a guy that I used to work with in the unit, um, pulled me back into uh, the international security consulting field. Uh, where I work for uh, public and private organizations. And uh, yeah. funnily enough, while I was out um, doing uh, private uh, work, uh, I'd just flown out of Europe. I was flying out of Italy, uh, flying into Peru. And, uh, and I threw a, a very long story that I'll make extremely short. I met my wife or, or to, to become my wife. Yeah. Uh, and uh, over a period of time, we got married, and uh, my first son came along, and uh, so I had to make another career switch. Uh, I uh, owned and operated a coffee shop for a couple of years, and then when yeah. our second son came along, um, I wanted to spend more time with the boys, uh, kind of being that stay-at-home dad. And uh, my wife uh, was extremely busy and very successful Um engineer, uh, a project manager as well. And so um, I was going to be stay-at-home dad. I wanted to do something with my skill sets. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. I was riding and racing my bike pretty hard. And so that kind of segued into uh, becoming a high-performance racing coach for 15 years, uh, wow. looking after athletes all over the world uh, with more of a focus on ultra-endurance racing. Um, and uh, so uh, just recently, I retired from coaching uh, again after those 15 years. And uh, currently now, um, I'm working on a book uh, with uh, an awesome friend and partner uh, who yep. you know, of course, a retired uh, RCMP Sergeant uh, Major Seb Lavoie. Yep. And so that's what I'm doing now, uh, involved in editing a book uh, that we created after 25 recorded hours of verbal uh, back and forth on a number of subjects. Uh, I think Wicked. the book is going to be awesome, uh, but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let others decide that. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Seb is awesome. I had him on the podcast a while ago. He's a great dude. Uh, he just said, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> He's a great dude. I'm he really is. Uh, how did how did you guys link up? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And uh, man, you know, like Seb would probably be the best person to tell that story because uh, his his version is is more interesting than mine, I think. But uh, to make it very short, um, you know, he uh, I, we had mutual friends. They kind of wanted us to get together. Uh, he drove from Vancouver to Roslyn, which is where I live, Roslyn, BC. Mm -hmm. It's about an eight hour drive. He came out, he rolled on our mats for, you know, uh, a couple of hours and, uh, jujitsu. And, mm -hmm. um, and then afterwards we went for dinner and, and hung out and chatted for uh, about three hours. And, and then the next morning he drove back to Vancouver and, and, uh, you know, it was, I thought it was great meeting him just like a, right yeah. away. I knew he was an awesome dude, but, uh, two, three days later, he gave me a call and said, Hey, so I've been thinking and kind of, that's how it started off. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's a, um, that's straight up bromance. Like you could make a <laughs> romantic comedy out of that. It would be seriously, there's far <laughs> too many people who are having far too much fun with this idea. Yeah. Yeah. And there, you know, the funny thing is though, especially with jujitsu, if that's your first meeting with somebody, 
it really like you you can learn a lot oh for sure about somebody for sure right on the mats like 100 you can it's quite interesting i had uh we had an open mat a few weeks back and one of our white belts brought over one of her friends who just happened to be a blue belt and we started immediately i was just like hey man i'm chance how's it going let's roll and just bam on the mats and that turned into a good like hour and a half two hour long session of chatting and laughing and discussing and blah. and it just it allows the conversation to flow because the, there's no physical barriers i guess at that point because you just it's already you know. been sorted yeah exactly yeah um so you got out in the 90s when transitioning was not really even an issue oh, bro. Or not, i can't say an issue and it wasn't even thought of yeah so, precisely how did how did your transition go because i've noticed something that usually sergeants and above usually have a slightly better transition and i can't say across the board but usually um say probably 70 or 80 percent just due to the fact that they're used to doing the paperwork whereas privates corporals master corporals we don't have a lot of experience with the va and trying to do your exit right. paperwork and medicals and blah, 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 blah. So how did yours go? Yeah, so to to your point that you just raised, I'll touch on that first. You're right. Um, you know, as a warrant officer, I was fortunate uh, and obligated to go through uh, various senior leadership uh, courses that taught me um, loads more than I actually wanted to know about paperwork, and mm -hmm. uh, and of course uh, in in a in a formal process like the military, where there is um, fixed accountability points. Uh, I mean, you just have to get good at your job, uh, and so you know I, I understood paperwork. Uh, that was an easy thing for me to do if. In fact, there would have been paperwork to do, <laughs> and so to your to your question now, I'll, I'll address it. Uh, my transition uh, out of the military did not go very well at all, um, and I was completely unaware of any supporting mechanisms available to me when I left JTF two. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't know about uh, re-education benefits or pension benefits uh, due to any physical or mental health issues. I didn't understand pain and suffering compensation. I just really had no idea about any benefits at all. Um, yeah. And so to be clear, uh, for the last 25 years, I've received zero benefits from the military. I, when I left, I did everything by myself in the dark yeah. without any uh -huh. help. And, you know, looking back on it, I can say that, you know, it's partly my fault. Uh, maybe when I was getting out, uh, I just didn't pay enough attention when I was releasing. And and I say that it was an extremely busy time. I transitioned out of the military like lickety split. Mm -hmm. uh, and and part of that reason uh, goes to, you know, I, I probably fell through the cracks a little bit when I left the military because at the time the unit was very secretive. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it effectively didn't exist, if you will. And uh, it had very little interaction with any outside organizations. And so that had me never really getting a proper release benefits briefing from the usual channels. 
Uh, So I guess, you know, I'm partly to blame by not digging deeper. uh, And and the system is partly to blame because I just really fell through the cracks. But Mm. uh, I guess the good news is that uh, a few months ago, uh, I started to receive some benefits uh, from Veterans nice. Affairs, uh, yeah. and so there's more to come. And 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 without a doubt, I am very grateful for all of that. Yeah. So if you were to be able to go back twenty some odd years ago and tell yourself one piece of advice on that transition that would make it easier, make it better, what do you think you would tell yourself? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think that uh, the answer that I want to give you is, well, the answer that I'm going to give you is the answer that (laughs) couldn't have existed for me back then. So my answer uh, to anybody who's transitioning now or has transitioned recently is simply this, uh, connect with other veterans who've gone through the transition process. Don't do it on your own. Now, that's the advice I would give to everyone now, having gone through the process of not having been given any advice. And so 25 years ago, there was really no one to give me the advice. I was, you know, I was one of the first guys to transition out of JTF2 uh, straight Mm -hmm. onto Civilian Street uh, in in the space of half a day. And so there was nobody that I could lean over and say, hey, how did you do it? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I want to say that it's probably a bit easier for the guys in, that are transitioning now because the system is more robust. It's, it's, mo- it's better defined. And certainly there are far more veterans who've transitioned through the system who are starting to communicate with each other in a meaningful way so that, you know, the the transition is being done more effectively and more professionally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, again, it's um, lessons learned, right? You have to, lessons be able to learned. take those lessons and go, oh, shit, that's, that's probably not a great idea. Yeah. Um, while you, what you were just saying, it kind of peaked something in my head there. And the one of the things that I realized very early on was that I'm not going to be a civilian like ever again. That's just mm. not like I'm, I'm not that guy anymore. And I realized that throughout all of our training, throughout all of our time in the military, everyone always talks about, oh, I'm going to go back to Civvy Street. I'm going to be, you know, when I'm a civilian again, I'm going to do this, blah, 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 right? Uh, And I don't think it's an accurate representation of, like, when you get out, I don't care how long you've spent in the military, you're not a civilian anymore. You know, you could go through basic training, whatever, do all your trades training, and then get to your unit and get injured and have to get out. You're not that city. You're not the civvy anymore. Never. It's just not there. It'll so never. I you never people, will be. Exactly. And I, I correct myself regularly. <laughs> I try to, you know, uh, nudge other people as well. Is that you're a veteran. Once you've been in the military, you're a soldier. You're an airman. You're a sailor. Whatever. You get out. Now you're a veteran. You're not a civilian. You're a veteran. Call yourself that. Refer to yourself as that because it, it actually affects the way you deal with things instead of. You know, oh, I'm just a civilian. I don't know what to do anymore. You're, you know, I'm a veteran. I have shit to do. Let's get it done. And yeah, just that straight mindset up. helps helps a lot. Yeah, the uh, you know, it's it's funny chance because um, when I left uh, the unit, 
um, I had to get on with getting on and, and it was through my own bumbling ways. Uh, no, no one was holding my hand and, and I didn't have a compass bearing to shoot. So mm -hmm. I just kind of, I, I don't want to say made it up as I went along, but I just, I, you know, I worked hard at doing better. And yeah. so um, it wouldn't have been until just a few years ago that, uh, you know, I started reconnecting with some um, uh, military pals, some guys that I used to work with, uh, guys that uh, I, I spent lots of time in a trench with, and, uh, and, and just started casually chatting uh, with, with those fellas and, and started to realize um, that, and of course, everyone's path is different, but started to realize that my path had been uh, less like uh, a lot of the guys that I was talking with. They'd, they'd had a, um, for lack of a better term, a traditional military career where they stayed in the regular military. They didn't go into special mm -hmm. operations, which is neither here nor there other than to say the regular military system uh, kind of looks after you in in a structured way. And then, you know, as as the years go by, you know how it's all going to play out, uh, generally mm -hmm. speaking, uh, when it comes to retirement. But yeah, uh, I mean, you got that career manager and stuff, that's too, right. right? Like everyone's For sure. just guiding you along. Yeah. For sure. There's a process. And as, as long as you pay attention, the process kind of unfolds as it always has. Uh, mm. You know, there's lots of bumps and bruises along the way, but you generally understand where it's all going to end up. Uh, my my um, my path wasn't like that towards the end of my career, and uh, my transition certainly wasn't. So there wasn't a lot of commonality between what I experienced and what they had experienced. And so through various discussions, I started to understand that, um, you know, the the veteran state of mind or that veteran identity was something that I hadn't taken on myself. I hadn't aligned myself with it i didn't think of myself as that and and it yeah. was through a lot of really kind of uh good guidance wise words and 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 to some degree almost mentorship from some of the veterans that you know either worked for me i worked for them or i worked alongside of in in all mm -hmm. of those cases i i was almost re-educated in in a way to better understand what it means to be a veteran yeah and it's a hard lesson too sometimes because the a lot of people get out and they just they want to like cut out like i don't want to do this anymore right i'm out i'm leaving the military behind me blah blah and it they will cut themselves off from not only just i mean the biggest part is is you're talking to people who been down that road right just as a bare minimum like i could talk to you your path and my path are very different but there's a connection there oh, that for we sure. can talk because we know what it's like <clears throat> for sure and just cutting yourself off from that i mean that's that's rough <laughs> I well know. i i can I, I can guarantee you that it is because to some degree that is what i did and and yeah. and for no no other reason than that's that's kind of what I thought I might have to do in order to proceed forward and 
And, and it was, you know, would I do it differently for sure. Uh, but at the time, no one had a better answer. And so I just got on with getting on. And, and as I said, uh, just a couple of minutes ago, I, I was lucky enough to talk to some guys, some veterans who, who mm -hmm. were kind of, Hey, what have you been up to, uh, for the last 25 years? And, uh, and so, you know, once I started having chats with those guys, um, I realized how not, of course it's fun to, to chat with the uh, other veterans, mm -hmm. but I realized how much, um, commonality I had with them from our time in the service, but also how, how we've kind of moved our way through life post service, how we've navigated mm -hmm. that civilian world or that bigger world around us and and so uh reconnecting with all of these guys again has been super uh helpful being really yeah. uh, quite a powerful uh tool for me to use as i continue to see getting better at all things yeah i had uh i had a friend of mine <laughs> he's a veteran as well uh he's been out for a while now and he was, he was, uh, what was he? He started listening to my podcast just recently. <laughs> he texted me after, you know, he was doing a long road trip and he's like, dude, so I guess we all just kind of experience the same thing, don't we? <laughs> like, basically, like really when you, when you, when you pare it down, we know what it's like to chew dirt. Yeah, I think. And, you know, <laughs> you said something uh, a few minutes ago as well that I think is quite important. Um, the, you know, there's a bit of a romantic notion around tier one, uh, operators, maybe romantic notion is a poor choice of words, a little bit of mystique or a little bit of, yeah. um, uh, yeah, you put people up on a pedestal, That's right? right? Sure. Like, ooh. Sure. Yeah. Sexy. Um, yeah. and, and you know what there, I don't want to say, uh, that that's a bad thing because to some degree, rightfully so it's a, it's a super hard job. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, what, what I did on the teams, uh, pales in comparison to what, uh, the guys uh, have, have continued to do and still do to this day. Uh, they're, they're far better operators than I ever, uh, was for sure. How could they not be? Uh, they've, built themselves up on all of those lessons over the years and their, the resources that they have to support them now are so much better. They are probably twice the operator that I was. And, and I think that's pretty rad. And, and at the time I thought that we were pretty good. So, you know, if you're tier one nowadays or over the last decade or so, then yeah, man, it is pretty rad. Yeah. And so, um, I think it's important to say this, that you don't have to be a tier one operator, uh, to, uh, experience some of the frustrations of, uh, the military career to kind of suffer to some degree within the system. And once you get out of the system, because 
man, my six months in, in uh, Wainwright in uh, infantry battle school, man, you go through six months of battle school, <laughs> you're hurting. And, and yeah. you know, if you, if you graduated battle school and went straight on to civilian street, uh, transitioned straight over as a, a six-month veteran, yeah. man, you, you'll never be a civilian a again. World. It's a different world. Yeah. And, and you will never, ever look at things the way you used to look at them six months prior. That's just fact. Yeah. I was uh, I was writing last night, and I was um, uh, writing about my time in and stuff. And I had I'm talking about my threes course and you know my the engineer trades courses. One of the more difficult, probably one of the most difficult of just the general courses the, for trades throughout the military, or at least the Canadian military. Uh, and it's four months of just suck. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we have rucksack appreciation month where you don't go anywhere without your rucksack, and it's. It just sucks. There's there, there's no way else to do it, right? So, the level of suck may change throughout your time or <laughs> yeah. whatever trade or course you're doing, right? But it still sucks. And everyone who knows what it's like to just deal with the suck, doesn't matter how how much you've done of it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I can empathize. That's at least. true. And and I think the other secret sauce ingredient is uh, even if it's just a six month infantry battle school. Um, yeah, there's loads of suck. Every every yeah. hour is suck. But yeah. on top of that, there's accountability, which is yeah. a big uh, delineation between um, uh, in the service and out of the service. So you can have lots of suck out of the service, but there isn't nearly as much accountability as to are you performing against that suck or not. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think I think if you do a stint – uh, or one year, three years, whatever the case is, in the anywhere in the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, yeah. Air Force, Navy, Land, it doesn't matter uh, what your trade is, uh, where your career takes you. Uh, if you've done anything more than six months, for sure, you're going to look at the world differently. Yeah. It actually le- it bleeds into what we're going to talk about, which is mindfulness, because what I've realized over time, once I understood what mindfulness was, um, I realized that that's what the military does to you. It puts you in a mindful state, or it's supposed to put you in a mindful state, because you're all you're focused on is the job, right? There's no politics, there's no BS, there's no <clears throat> sergeant breathing down your neck. When you're digging a trench, and all there is to do is dig a trench, that's all you're thinking about, right? And that is, at least in my mind, that is pure mindfulness. When I was overseas sweeping for IEDs, right? That was my only concern, period, was this one thing. I was in that moment. But uh, maybe you can give me a better description of what mindfulness actually is. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've given it some thought. I've been thinking about when when you asked me to come on the podcast and, and talk uh, about mindfulness, um you know, I might not be the right guy for the job. Uh, I don't have a PhD behind my name. All I've got is my life experience uh, and talking to a lot of people who are much smarter than I am and, and, and being a voracious reader and always looking to improve myself every day. And so when you mentioned mindfulness, uh, I just spent the last couple of weeks trying to calibrate into it a little bit more and not in the sense of trying to become wise 
so that I can speak about it wisely. I spent the last two weeks thinking about it through the lens of a veteran, through the lens of the military, uh, because mindfulness to you and I will be different than the guy down the street who uh, works in a cubicle, as an example. Yeah. So, again, I've spent the last couple of weeks thinking about this, and I've already prefaced this by stating that I am not a subject matter expert. I am just one guy coming at it from the angle of trying to have this conversation as a veteran. So That's what this podcast is about. That's, that's right. So, <laughs> that's all. so with that in line, um, I'll, I'll say this. I, I created uh, a definition of what mindfulness means to me as viewed through a number of uh, excellent resources, uh, um, um, a, a lot of uh, taken from a lot of different books and a lot of different online resources. And so to me, this is what mindfulness means. I'll read the definition as I wrote it down. It is a state of awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in a non-judgmental way to the present moment, as observed through three different lenses, the body, the mind, and emotions. Now, this is where it becomes important for veterans, I think, and I'm going to dig into this a little bit more over the next 10, 15 minutes. So I want to bring up two more terms. We've already talked about mindfulness. The, the second term is awareness, and the third term is concentration. They're similar terms to mindfulness. In fact, I hear them used, and I've used them myself interchangeably, but incorrectly, as I've come to better understand over the last couple of weeks. So guess what? While, while trying to understand mindfulness a bit better, as it means to veterans, I've had to be more mindful while studying mindfulness. So this... This difference here is important. Mindfulness and awareness are similar. However, mindfulness requires non-judgment. That's super important. And then concentration is required to achieve mindfulness. But concentration is being so focused on one thing that it can exclude other things. So you can use concentration and awareness to move towards mindfulness, but that doesn't mean you're being mindful. Mm -hmm. Roger that? Roger. So yep. with those, with that definition in place and, and the most important overarching theme being that you're very present, you're very aware of what's going on with your mind, your body, and your emotions, and you're being non-judgmental throughout that process. Mm -hmm. I think there's five points that I want to uh, cover uh, before we dive too deeply into the discussion. For sure. So first point is, and, and these, you, you would have to come back to these throughout the remainder of our discussion. So maybe I'll send you a screenshot or some notes on this, or I'm not sure, sure. They're, they're not long, but uh, they're, they're important yeah. points to cover. The first point would be simply this mindfulness isn't magic. It's available to everyone. Mm -hmm. That's super key because I've, I've 
often considered mindfulness to be some sort of esoteric, magical thing that I need to chant namaste three times mm -hmm. and, and I need to, you know, I, I need to control my breathing, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's, oh. that's right, for sure. And, and yeah. for any veteran, especially if you were a hard charging veteran, almost the uh, something that would be our kryptonite is that sort of um lifestyle and so yeah. i think it's super important the first point to really uh, emphasize is mindfulness isn't magic it doesn't require yeah. om or any of that such stuff it's really available yeah. to everyone the next point I'd like to make is that mindfulness can be done via an internal or an external process. The example that I'd use uh, that was inevitably going to happen is the difference between meditation versus making coffee. Uh, meditation is more of an internal process I would propose versus mm -hmm. making coffee is more of an external process. My third point would be whether you're choosing to use an internal or an external process to develop your mindfulness, as you become more familiar with the process, you need to begin making comparative assessments between your body, your mind, and your emotions. And as you assess each one, you can begin to incorporate it more fully into the moment. That's going to become important as we talk about maybe mind sweeping on tour, but we'll get yeah. to that in a, in a few minutes. The next point I'd yeah. like to make um, is while looking at mindfulness for veterans, I think that from a veteran perspective, the external process is certainly a more familiar approach. It's a better gateway entry into mindfulness versus a pure internal process. And the fifth point I would like to make moving on the back of that is I think that to become efficient at mindfulness, you need to use a hybridized model as a more effective way for veterans. So finding a physical challenge uh, you can observe in real time that gives you better access to your mind and emotions uh, if mm -hmm. practiced over enough time. So all of that to say, meditation is a tool and there's many tools, but mindfulness is a way of living. Yeah. And so to tie that all together, I think that Many years ago, I didn't think that mindfulness was something that was available to me. I thought it was going to require me going off to a an enchanted valley uh, where, uh, you know, I had to move through a time portal and yeah. uh, I would be the only one on the magical island and I would have to chant a lot and mm. uh, for with no end in sight, with no real goal other than to eventually be struck by the magic of mindfulness. And, uh, and I think that it's a flawed approach. As, I, as I've said, it's available, it's available to us right now. Uh, as I stand here talking to you on the podcast, I can feel my feet. I'm standing up at my stand-up desk. I can feel my bare feet on the floor. And as I wiggle them, I can get sensory input from that. 
mm-hmm. I can tie my mind, my my body, and my emotions into the moment. Um, but I think where I kind of blow it, and where most veterans blow it, is and and to use your example, uh, Chase, where you're talking about being uh, on mission and perhaps sweeping for mines or or any such uh, high risk task. Um, I th- I think it's a, a false definition of being mindful in that moment. I think what we were doing or we do is we're extremely concentrated. We're extremely aware, but mm. we're not being mindful. And, I, and I'm not even sure if you can be mindful in moments like that. I think you would have to be some kind of super evolved being to be mindful in those kind of threat matrix. But I think that through those processes, through those, through mind sweeping, uh, as an example, on tour, you you can be concentrated and aware of what's going on around you while at the same time trying to mm, touch base with what you're feeling. Because most of the mm. time, when it's that high risk or when the threat level is that high, I don't know about you, but I tend to strip out the emotions. I tend to yep. go non-emotional. And mm-hmm. so I might be hyper-focused or hyper-vigilant even. Uh, I might be super concentrated on the task at hand, perhaps not so fully exclusionary that I'm not aware of my peripherals, but I'm definitely on task. But oh, I, yeah. I, I'm burning so much <clears throat> CPU time on task that I'm, I'm not paying any attention to or not allowing myself to be feeling how do I feel? And being non-judgmental mm-hmm. about that. That's a great point. I mean, there's lots of great points in there. <laughs> I was taking notes as you were talking. <laughs> and uh, you're you're right, though. It, I, I've always likened mindfulness to a level of focus. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, jujitsu-wise, things. Is, there's a level of focus there that you have to kind of detach, but not completely detached you just have to separate yourself from at least in my in my mind i separate myself from the uh as you said the um uh judge the judgment of it yeah right and i find my jujitsu is better when i strip that away and i can just look at oh he has my leg okay now what do i do right instead of oh oh he's got my leg because <laughs> as soon as you think it's bad then you start to react in a uh, in a bad manner because you're like, oh dear, this is bad. I need to deal with this immediately versus he has my leg. Okay, what needs to be yeah, done? Yeah, for sure. X, Y, whatever, right? And so when I was, I, I liken that to being overseas, especially when I'm sweeping, when I was using the metal detector, was because there was no judgment of it, right? There was no, like, if there's a mine here, oh dear, what's going to happen? It was just... Sweep, 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 sweep. If I hear a beep, I'm going to figure out what it is, and then we're going to deal with it. And I, you're right, though. I did separate my emotional state. So I wasn't paying attention to my emotional state. I was paying attention to all the external things, and I had separated the the emotional judgment of it. Uh, I think it's so 
common. So, you're, so yeah, normal. Percent, yep. Yep. And it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've talked to lots of vets now, and one of the things most dudes say is, oh, you know, I, w- I wish I could be back there with the boys doing the doing the work. And I always liken that to being in a mindful state because that that's the, the feeling what you want is the removal of the judgment, but what it actually is is the removal of the emotion, which is actually, that's a great point. Yeah. 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 yeah Two yeah. weeks of thinking about it has brought me to these <clears throat> thought experiments for sure. Yeah. That's fantastic. So, you know, um, speaking of uh, mindfulness um, and as a veteran or other veterans um, looking for ways to improve that mindfulness, and this is just building off of what you have just said, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of vets talk about how they'd like to be back in the game so that they're in a game they understand, that they aren't being judged on, and et cetera, et cetera. I, I, I totally mm-hmm. get it. Uh, but you know, but you're not. You're you're at home, or you're yep. you're uh, at work, or you're driving down the highway, and and so you're not. You're not back in those times, and you're not back with those guys. And so mm-hmm. here we are looking for ways to perhaps not fully recreate that, but to get more in touch with um, the world around us and get more in touch with ourselves. And so, you know, I think there's a couple of different ways that that can be done by veterans. And um, the first one is uh, whatever, whatever you've been into for the last five or 10 or 15 or 20 years, whatever it is, whatever hobby, uh, I, I see guys out there that are uh, doing a lot of uh, gunsmithing, a lot of gun work, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, work with uh, materials that they're familiar with from their former careers. And, and that's, uh, that's a great way to move into uh, or transition into uh, veteran life because it's a familiar world it's a familiar hobby familiar task but you can get comfortable in that that space you can get complacent uh with that space because you're comfortable in it you're successful in it uh sometimes we don't push ourselves as hard as we need to because we're enjoying being good at something and so you know in in a case where you uh, uh, an individual is working on old hobbies or old skill sets i think it's it's time to do one of two things you either have to dive deeper down the rabbit hole and really stretch goal yourself really stretch your limits in in a way that is almost undoable um and so i i look at a perfect example of nims die uh the netflix documentary that just came out 14 yeah. peaks Awesome, awesome story. Nims died doing uh, an incredible thing, uh, but based off of him diving deep into his own personal abilities, pushing himself mm-hmm. with such a stretch goal that it was questionable for sure. But mm-hmm. I mean, how can you not respect the level of commitment and how deep he dove and his team dove? Uh, yeah. to to enable that inspire straight up give it her and, like, and so you know the, the great giveter. thing about that is 
you know, Nims, he he went super deep. And, and in that sense, he probably gained a, a lot more opportunities to be more mindful in, in, mm-hmm. in some of those challenging moments. <clears throat> but also through that process, as a, as a veteran, um, while doing that, he's inspired so many others. So it's like a double win. Uh, yeah. And I suppose another way that veterans can... Um, can engage more mindfulness if they're in an old hobby like gunsmithing or some such thing um, is seek challenges through other thought provoking subject matter experts. Um, There's if, if you're going to take a course from someone else and you're showing up already feeling pretty comfortable about how you're going to do in that course, it's probably the wrong course. Uh, yeah. If you're showing up on day one thinking, what the hell am I doing here? How long will I last? Mm, that's probably the right course. Probably a good spot. And yeah. so uh, as a as a veteran who's looking for more mindfulness and you want to stick to old hobbies or old skill sets, then either go deep or or challenge yourself to be super uncomfortable through another subject matter expert. Another yep. way it can be done <laughs> is by tying on a white belt in a new hobby. Uh, or a new life direction. And of course, yep. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a perfect example of this uh, for both of us. Um, I literally tied my white belt, my BJJ white belt on the week that I turned 52. And nice. I've been doing it now for over six years. And um, and that's coming from someone who has been doing martial arts for 40 years Tying on that BJJ white belt was just as nerve-wracking as it was tying on my first white belt 40 years yep. ago. And so no matter who you are, no matter what you bring to the game, tier one or not, it doesn't matter who you are, uh, whatever thoughts you have in your mind about how it's going to play out, it's not going to play out like that. And yep. and tying that white belt on uh, in, in a martial art like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is an excellent opportunity to not only get super uncomfortable, but uh, learn a lot about yourself in the process. Yeah. And so you'd mention it a little bit about the mindfulness of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and when someone gets a hold of your leg and starts working on a heel hook or a straight ankle lock or whatever the case is, and it's now your responsibility to figure that out and, and, and try to tamp down some of the, the panic, some of the fear, some of the adrenaline dump, some of the irrational thoughts, some of the tunnel visioning, all of the things that occur uh, when you're first starting in any new skill set. When you're when you're tier one kicking in a door for the first time, the tunnel vision is is more tunnel than when you've done it the hundredth time. You're you're mm-hmm. seeing more, you're smelling more, you're tasting more, you're feeling more, you're sensing more. But that first time on the mats versus that one thousandth time on the mat, they're completely different uh, circumstances. But more importantly, uh, I think in respect to mindfulness is whether it's your first time uh first day with a white belt in whatever it is that you're doing or that 1000th day there's each time there's an opportunity to be a little more mindful and 
it, I got to be careful to discuss specifically what you were talking about. And that was, if someone gets your leg, then what do I do and how do I control the X, Y, Z? Well, sometimes maybe you don't control it. Sometimes you let the fear run its course. Sometimes you let the panic run its course. Sometimes you tap way earlier than you needed to tap. And I've done Mm -hmm. it. Who hasn't? If you, yeah. if, if you haven't tapped prematurely because of either that crushing claustrophobic feeling or that sense of dis, unease, um, whatever it is, if you haven't tapped and then sat up and thought, oh, man, I suck, or why did I do that, or <laughs> yeah. that was weak sauce, or, or whatever yeah. the case is, yeah. If you haven't thought that, then you're, you haven't done enough Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And then what do you do with those thoughts when you go home? Do you yeah. ignore them? Do you dig into them? Do you try to process why you were feeling them and why that night versus not the night before? And why would that person and not the other person? And what is it a person? Is it a thing? Is it what I ate? Did I sleep enough? Am I hydrated? Am I, what was it? And so... Yeah that new white belt in that new skill set, whether it's BJJ or learning to fly a drone, it doesn't matter. As long as you engage in the process and try to not just in the moment, be non-judgmentally aware of what's going on within you, but after the fact, that post-mission debrief sense of, okay, now I'm going to revisit this again from a different angle. A lot of growth can be done in those new white belt moments. A hundred percent. I got like a a million points. I wanted to jump in, but at the same time, you were, you were a role. I was <laughs> Sorry, like, man. That's awesome. But no, no, it's fantastic. Um, this was the the thing that just popped in my mind. What oh, yes. we always say, For right? Sure. Embrace the suck. For sure. And that's a hundred percent it. Just embrace it. That there is, you know, my first day in at PJJ, I got tapped. I got tied in knots actually by a 16 year old girl For sure. that was like a hundred pounds lighter than me. And I'm like, I'm a big dude. I figured, and I've been doing martial arts most of my life. I'm like, you know, I, it, I could probably, you know, I could probably do better than that. And that first day she just tied me in knots and I was like, well, <laughs> this is uh like, I could have said, you know, fuck this garbage. I'm not doing this. Blah, 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 blah. And I get upset about it. I get angry about it or I can go. Why why did that happen? For sure. Wait a second. Wait a second. How did that happen? And like you said, lots of times you tap early and you go, okay, wait. So where did I give you my leg? And you, you back backtrack the tape, right? Oh, okay. It's it was here. Oh, I see my leg. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, and then you can let's play it out from blah 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 and carry it on, right? So you can engage directly. My therapist does this with me all the time, is that you have to look at an incident, figure out how you feel about it, and then figure out how you would like to feel about it. And then you backtrack the tape and you play it out in that way. And that's just a mental exercise that we do to get through some of the the trauma and the trauma responses. But we do it in BJJ all the time. Yeah, you sure. Physically, right? <clears throat> and true. It's, it's such a key thing to be able to do and say, whoa, hold on a second. Wait, what just happened? <laughs> like, instead of, I was teaching, I can't say I was teaching, I was working with, we have a bunch of brand new white belts at my club and it's great to see lots of people wanting to be there and really trying. 
and me and one of the other blue belts were kind of giggling because white belts always do the same thing. And I did it. He did it. I'm sure you did it. We all do. There's, right, there's the, uh, like, as you said, the tunnel vision. You're like, oh, my God, I got to get this, and then I got to head here, and then I got to do that. And then there's these things, especially after a class of drilling or something, and you're like, okay, I want to make this move work. But really, you, you don't have to. And we always tell them, like, just relax, man. Slow down. <laughs> Slow down. Relax. Work on what you need to do right now instead of 17 million uh, steps down the road. And then I was telling another uh, white belt after an open mat, he was just like, you know, I really think I have a wrestling background. I should be able to, like, maybe I can get one or I can sneak in a tap here or something like that. And I'm like, dude, you're rolling with brown belts. It's just, like, it's not going to happen. I don't care what experience you have. You're a white belt. He's a brown belt. You're not going to win. Yeah. What you should be focusing on is how long can I make this last, right? When I, I posted that video uh, of me and Mark mm, Roland that's, the other day there. That's good roll. I know 100% I'm not going to win. <laughs> I, I, I know going into it I'm not going to win. Uh, or I was rolling with Steve, sorry. Anyway, that it's not my goal to win. My goal is to make him work for it. That's it. And so I will attack, and I will go on the offensive, and I will try to do things, and then they usually don't work, and then I have to, like, and then I have to defend them, which, bonus for me, I get practice defending constantly. I'm, my guard is getting better and better oh, yeah, because sure. I'm rolling with lots of higher... But anyway. Uh, but the concept is is that I'm, I'm always... I sit back at the end of it and go, okay, well, where, where did I lose that? Right, I, I thought I had a good position here, and then all of a sudden you pass my guard, and I like, what happened? Usually my scissor sweep works, but for some odd reason it didn't that time. Why not? And he goes, oh well, my weight was over here, and you're like, oh, oh, and it starts to feed in. You get the uh, the process, right? Um, yeah, you know the one of the things yeah. that I, I would encourage you to do uh, for your BJJ, uh, and I started doing this a few years ago, and man, it it was embarrassing, and 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 it still is embarrassing. It's just a little less embarrassing, not because I'm yeah. that much better, but because I'm used to being embarrassed constantly now. Uh, and anytime I put up a BJJ video. And so, um, you know, I started filming myself rolling with other people, more mm -hmm. specifically my son, Evan, who's uh, quite a beast on the mats. And, and so over the course of a few years now, I put up uh, videos, uh, not professionally and not that great to watch, but it shows me rolling with other people and either getting my ass whooped or, or not. Uh, that's unimportant to me. Uh, what it has done is I'll, I'll roll on the mats and then I'll go home and I will review the footage looking yeah. to cherry pick uh two three or four moments whatever the case is from the evening that are aesthetically appealing to my eye it might not be anything to do with tapping someone out or having an awesome position or doing a, an amazing overhead sweep or anything like that mm. it's it's far less about the sexiness of something and it's more to do with 
how my eye works and what is uh, aesthetically pleasing to me. And so by coming home and reviewing the footage and then cherry picking stuff out and pushing it up to the internet and then having someone watch it and say, wow, you look like a dork or wow, bro, you're so cool. Whatever it is, yeah. is, is unimportant to me. Going through that process, that thoughtful process of calibrating what I did on the mats and what I thought I was doing versus mm -hmm. reality, which is on tape, and I can now technically analyze. It helps me better calibrate my mind, my body, and my emotions uh, mm -hmm. in, in a real true sense uh, rather than my interpreted sense from the hour ago that I was on the mats. Yeah. Yeah. The memory is always susceptible, right? Like one of the things that, especially with dealing with trauma or dealing with anything physical, <clears throat> your immediate memory is going to be affected by how are the people are talking. And it happens to us on the mats all the time. It happens us to in the military. It happens sure. us to in life, right? All the time is somebody goes, Oh, what could I have done better? And everyone goes, uh, <laughs> and then you, you, we have sat through so many ARs, right? Of, you know, what, what could we have done better? Um, you know, I think communication. Yeah. And otherwise I think we're good. And then the next guy's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the same. Yeah. I'm the same. Next, yeah, oh yeah. Same, same, same. And you're like, but this isn't an A like we're not actually building anything. And we do it on the mats. You know, somebody's like, oh man, what could I have done better? And you try and think of the role and you're like, shh. Well, wasn't, you, like you weren't even there, right? You know, the, the maybe working to my benefit or not, I'm not sure. Sometimes it's been beneficial and sometimes it's got me in a heck of a lot of trouble. But uh, the latter part of my military career um, was all about realistic, critical analysis of outcomes. And mm -hmm. so there was no pussyfooting around. There was no delivering the message politely. Uh, it was hard and direct. And the expectations were, and those modifications just took effect. And, mm -hmm. and so it would be every single day that we were shredding our performances uh, in order to become better the following day. There was no ducking or shirking or hiding in the shadows. You had a spotlight on you all the time and you were constantly accountable all the time. And mm -hmm. so coming out of that environment, that's how I've always viewed my own performances and that's how I've viewed others' performances. So on the mats, you know, I've dialed it way back, but uh, on the mats, you know, if I roll with someone, they ask for feedback. Um, you, you know, I, I haven't been in the game that long that I can add a, a whole pile of technical depth to my whatever I'm going to be talking about. But if they want my feedback, they get my feedback and, and it isn't it isn't candy coated or wrapped in, in a bouquet of flowers like it is direct and to the point. Mm -hmm. It's not mean spirited, but there's no ducking what I felt or observed in that role for a white belt mm -hmm. if they're looking for feedback. Well, this is, you know, you have to be able to deal with yourself in that manner, right? And that's how you get better 
at anything is to be able to say, no judgment, no nothing, right? You fucking sucked there. Yeah. You're like, yep, I really did. Okay, well, what do we do next time to make it better? And then you just work that way forward. I mean, that's, for me, being able to find some sort of peace after being at war was that direction. It was It was, today sucked. Yeah, it really did. Okay, how do we make tomorrow better? Well, maybe I should have coffee earlier, or maybe I should take the time to be, you know, you and I were chatting the other day, and I was like, hey, I just had a really mindful coffee with my French press, right? <laughs> For sure, man. And it, just being able to, to say yesterday was not great. No judgment, no beating yourself up, none of that, just yesterday wasn't great. Okay, how do we make today better? And then work on that every single day. And that's how I've gotten, you know, my working with my therapist for the last six odd years through trauma and all this other stuff. The only reason I'm where I'm at today is because I sat down and I was like, it, I got to work, right? Like it's not going to be, I show up with my therapist and we talk about unicorns and rainbows and everything being great. And I walk out feeling awesome. No, I I walk out of my therapist's office and I'm like, fucking like I'm exhausted. There are, there's no silver platters, nothing, nothing gets, and, and you know what? Would you even want it on a silver platter? Forget about it. It's got no value. So, you Mm -hmm. know, talking about mindfulness uh, projects or or how to be more mindful, I I think it's, it'd be valuable to talk about that just a little bit uh, for Mm -hmm. anyone out there who's listening, any veteran who's looking for a way to kind of get started in mindfulness or, or are they on the right track for mindfulness? Or let's say I want to start a new mindfulness project tomorrow. How would I do that? So I jotted down a couple of notes. And Mm -hmm. so I think there's approximately five steps to begin a a new mindfulness project. And the first thing is just choose a new challenge, any challenge, and nothing Mm -hmm. is too big or small. Seriously. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's putting your socks on with your eyes closed in the dark or whether it's making better coffee or whether it's eventually driving an F1 uh, race car. It doesn't matter what the new challenge is. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. Mm-hmm. Whatever you choose, the second point would be start a baseline trend. Form a trend. Get a sense of what you are doing and if you even like it. So let's say the challenge that you set for yourself is how to make better coffee. So your baseline is you make a coffee for a week or two and you start thinking about, man, do I even like paying attention to making coffee? Because if you don't like it, move on. What's the point? What is the point if you're just trying to start off on that mindfulness path? Don't start off with something that is going to be hard to engage in. Save that for much later. Save that for years mm-hmm. down the road, engaging in things that you don't want to engage in to be mindful about. So if coffee isn't doing it for you, move on to the next challenge. The third step I think you need to consider once you've got your baseline trend in place of whether you like it or not, or if you're going to do it or not, is establish your yardstick. And by that, I mean, understand exactly where you are and exactly where you'd like to go. Mm-hmm. And so using BJJ as an example, uh, that first night will be your entry point to the yardstick. Uh, my first night, uh, I did three five-minute rolls uh, with some guys, and they whooped my arse. 
And and when my arse was finished being whooped, they whooped it some more. And yep. so my yardstick was, oh, I guess those 34 years of martial arts didn't really help me that much. And so uh, further to that, I started developing my yardstick by observing the guys around me and how good they were and what they were capable of. And then further research on the interwebs and such to better understand what black belts look like, what world champions look like, et cetera, et cetera. And so my yardstick was based on where I was when I began and where I wanted to go uh, in my 10-year project that I set for myself for BJJ. Mm -hmm. I think the fourth point that is super important in any new mindfulness project is don't, not at all, don't even worry about the outcome. Just make it all about experiences based. So when I started my tenure project in BJJ, I thought to myself, I'll give it 10 years and let's see where it goes. I'll do my best. Not sure where that'll take me, but let's see what's up. And I committed. Once I crossed the start line, that was it. I always put my foot on the mat and and, and 10 years to the day, I'll see where I end up. And let's be real. I'll be there for an 11th and a 12th and a 13th year and et cetera, because I'll probably mm -hmm. never stop until my body's so broken I can't get on the mats. <laughs> but the point is, along the way, ditch the outcome focus. Don't, don't try to be a world champion or don't think you're going to be a world champion. Those, those things are, they'll sort themselves out. You've just got to focus on the path, on the experiences along the way. Enjoy. It's so cliche, but enjoy the journey. Don't yeah. don't miss the journey because you want to be a black belt world champion on day one. Yeah. And I think the fifth step when you're entering into a new mindfulness project is once you get a new skill, start looking for ways to incorporate existing skills or experiences into that path. Because skill and experience stacking is a powerful tool. And so I'll give yeah. you a good example of that uh, with uh, with coffee. Uh, I started a, a project back in 2007. I did it for four years. I, I just got it in my head. I was going to try to start pouring latte art. My, my first 100, 200, 300 pours were the suck. Like, you, you I, I couldn't have told you what shape they were. Yeah. But over that course of four years, I poured about 6,000 uh, shots. And uh, along the way, I captured it and actually made a book about it uh, that ended up uh, being raffled off for charity. Um, and that, that book captured a project that I had no idea where it was going to go, uh, what I was going to learn through it. But in that process, I just tried to do my best. And as I started doing better, then I started pulling in other skills like my yardstick was photography. I would capture each blob. And then as the blobs mm -hmm. turned to shapes, I'd capture the shapes. And as the shapes turned into art, I'd capture the art. But over that time, it, it raised my photography game, my flash game. I, I started to learn composition and understand light and angles better. And all of a mm -hmm. sudden, I was looking at macro photography where I was zooming in on just one single bubble in an espresso uh, shot. Yeah. And and so that process of skills stacking and experience stacking into a new mindfulness project, 
um, allowed me to become much more mindful, not just when I was making coffee, but mindful of the other skills that I was applying as I was making coffee. Uh, It was a pretty powerful sort of tool. So I would say, again, for a new mindfulness project, you got to pick a challenge. You got to form your baseline. You've got to establish where you are on the yardstick and what that looks like. Don't worry about outcomes. Focus on experience based and look at skill and experience stacking for a powerful tool up. Those are, I mean, that's point for point the way I did it through everything I've done. I always look, I just, you know, I tell when I, a lot of guys get out and they're like, I just don't know what to do. And I'm like, fucking do anything, man. Just like (laughs) start. Right? It doesn't matter. If you never rock climbed before, cool. Go to a gym. That's See right. what it's like. That's right. You want to go, you know, bodybuilder? Cool. Go to a fucking, like, start smashing iron, seeing if you're into it. If you're not, cool. Move the fuck on. There's right? always like, something you, along the way. Exactly. And you've not, you haven't lost anything. You've gained experience. Always. You now know that that is not, like, okay, that's not for me. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, like, Jocko Willink, and he's doing the whole, you know, wake up at 4.30, and I'm like, no, I've done that. No, that's not for me. I'm not that type of person, right? <laughs> I'm not a morning guy. I'm the same way. That's okay. Yeah, and you just got to, once you know that, okay, cool, utilize it. Um, one of the things I found in not only the the addition of experience, this is one of the great points that you made there, was adding in your experience and then adding other experience into that experience and just being able to throw everything on top of it was um, I was having a really difficult time on the mats with a particular move. And it was like, I just, I couldn't grasp it. I, I knew the physical movements of what I needed to do, but I couldn't get it to work. And then one day, um, I said, what was it? It was, uh, it was the pop-up bridge where you like, you really drive onto your shoulder. Yeah, sure. I was just like, I, it's going to mind. My bridge is going to suck. I have a bad back and I was giving myself excuses and right. Like my bridge is just going to suck. It's normal. And, and my, uh, my instructor one day was like, yeah, you got to get up there and then roll your shoulder in. It's kind of like a high jump. And then it just like in my head, I'm like, Oh, and I used to do high jump in high school. And I'm like, I, I, I get it now. The, all of a sudden those two things linked up and I was like, yes. And ever since that, my pop-up bridge has been excellent (laughs) (laughs) just because just that little adjustment of being able to actually understand the concept based off of my old experience to be able to put those two together. And then now when I'm learning new moves, I've been a big student of uh, military history. Most of my life, I start to, I start to take a concept and turn it into a military thing that I already know. So when we're talking about um, the different stages of say an omoplata escape, right? There's, you have four or five different stages which have different escapes along the way. I imply that to what happens in an ambush, right? The different levels of an ambush when you either get hit from the front and all, it's not that you just kind of take contact. Well, you can get up online and you can defend blah, 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 where, which is much different. Whereas if you're in a U-shaped ambush and you have to get out, both of those escapes are different, similar, but different. And so I've been able to take the new skill of BJJ and apply it or apply my old skills of military understanding tactics and so on and so forth, and then apply them into the learning of the skill set 
in order to move forward, which is exactly like this. The, yeah, it's just such a great point. I love that. Yeah, and you know, <laughs> and then, so it's it coincidental that just last night um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, I was having a discussion with her online about um, this very subject, and it was about how to be mindful in BJJ. Uh, because I had mentioned that I was going to be on your podcast today and this mm-hmm. was going to be one of the central themes. And so uh, I said, hey, listen, one of the things that I find helpful to me is when I'm rolling, I skill stack. So I pull in my tier one mentality, uh, stra- strategy and tactics. So I'm looking for deception and I'm looking for um, all kinds of various Entrench positions and deflate, enfilade, flanking, and mm-hmm. whatever, all of this, all yeah. of the good yeah. stuff. And so I'm, I'm employing that within my BJJ, not because it makes me better at BJJ, though I think it does, uh, than just not applying those uh, tactics and, and skill strategies. Mm-hmm. But I think what is also beneficial is I'm doing a physical movement while incorporating a higher intellectual level of strategic and tactical implementation uh, from a different skill set. So it's it's combining various philosophies in a singular moment, which is a bit of a stretch if you want to do it naturally. So I find myself mm-hmm. for the last three years now that I've been doing the pulling in that sort of tactic, strategy, military mindset that now becomes a, a lot more, it's a lot easier for me to do, but I still find myself kind of operating on a BJJ versus tier one strategy tactics implementation mm-hmm. on the mats. It's much more natural to me now, but uh, it's still not flowing as well as as I would like. And so to you, I would challenge you to do this. Uh, in speaking about mindfulness, uh, what I am doing is flip-flopping back and forth on the mats between uh, viewing BJJ through the lens of Tier 1 counterterrorism versus the state of no mind. So Mm. um, I'm also trying to empty my mind, as I have been trying to do for a few years now on the mats, and use it as a moving meditation and so I, I try not to think strategy or tactic or next move or anything for that matter. I just try to remain very empty-minded. And I try to feel a little bit more about what I'm feeling and mm-hmm. in my emotions. Uh, and, and I try to think a little bit more about what my mind is considering in the moment rather than the BJJ puzzle. I want my mm-hmm. mind to be able to consider a sticking point that I'm on the mat, something that I'm struggling with mentally or emotionally. I try to give it space to kind of bubble up so that I can work through it. And I can't do mm-hmm. that if I'm focused on strategy and tactics. And I can't do that if I'm focused on the physicality of the moment. So I found that over the last three years, my style has changed significantly on the mats, mm-hmm. so much so that I'm much more uh free moving i don't care so much about where things go or if they don't go where i want them to go in fact i'm 
quite happy to accept a really uncomfortable position so that I can operate in that moment uh, without any outcome expectation. If I put mm -hmm. myself in the worst case scenario right away, and I know it's only kind of positive movement forward from that place, then I don't really worry too much about the physical outcome or tap, no tap. I can mm -hmm. get on with sort of creating a solution with an empty mind while observing my emotional and mental state. Yeah, that's a great, I, I'm going to take that. We used to do every so often the instructor or professor would say, you know, okay, everyone, we're good. Next role. I want everyone to keep their eyes closed. That's funny. I just got to say that that's how I started it with my son three yeah. years ago. We started wearing blindfolds. Oh, it just, it changes the game, right? Mm -hmm. Cause you're not looking at stuff. You're not. And you know, I remember, Back in the day when I used to, uh, I was a C9 gunner for a long time. So I, like, I know that thing inside and out. That's just my baby. And I would practice with the lights out. Sure. Complete darkness, right? And I'd take it apart, smash it up into a little ball, blah, 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 put it all back together again without being able to see it. We, we actually, at one point, uh, we got challenged by one of our instructors. They took six C9s, put them all in a giant pile, just completely disassembled, and then turned the lights off and said, go. And we were just like, all right, cool, man. And you just start working, right? You start feeling for pieces. You start knowing where everything goes. That same process, you just separate the visual portion of it. So you're not you're not thinking what you need to do next. You're feeling what you need to do next, which is a, a really great place to be. And uh, I was going to say <clears throat> a point from earlier that kind of feeds into this is that as veterans, we like to be... We like to be the rock in the storm, right? We want to be that that bulwark that never moves and never shifts and anything can happen to us and we're totally fine, blah, blah, blah. But the problem with being that, that person and being in that point is you never actually grow. And the storm eventually takes a toll. If you're sitting, getting hammered by the storm constantly, it's going to erode the outer layer every so often, right? And the more difficult thing to do is to live in the ocean during the storm, like a fish wandering around. That's a more dangerous spot. There's predators, there's, you know, bad weather, blah, blah, blah. But that's where you get movement. That's where you get evolution. That's where you get the development of new skills and new abilities and being able to interact with the world. Especially as veterans, we need to be able to be out in the world. We should be, uh, you know, the leaders of society, because we have a different set of skill set. We have the ability to jump into something new, learn it, get good at it, and then pass it on to the next generation. It's a, uh, I think it's a skill set that we forget about sometimes. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it isn't uh, something that I've forgotten about because uh, the point that you just raised is exactly the next point that I had scribbled down on my digital paper here. And, and I simply entitled it uh, Load Balancing During the Process, and I'll read you the statement. Um, mm -hmm. And it's as such. Adaptation occurs. As it does, consider the relationship between the body, the mind, and the emotions, and which one would benefit more from some introspection, and which one would benefit more from some effort. And so I think that... Um, I'll, I'll speak for myself as a veteran. Yeah. When I was going through um, through my military career, I was pretty good at accepting a challenge and 
executing it against to the best of my abilities and usually had a pretty good outcome. And mm -hmm. uh, so I was used to success to some degree, I, I would say. Um, but um, what I didn't do was I didn't adapt or I adapted to the challenges put in front of me, but I didn't load balance as I was adapting. And so um, a singular minded or a one dimensional adaptation process being the physical adaptation, which is pretty typical for certainly combat arms veterans, I would say. Mm -hmm. And that is as simple as, as um, stripping and assembling a weapon or drawing your pistol out of your holster, engaging a target and then reholstering your weapon. You can, you can do those things thousands of times. And through that process, you'll learn all about how to optimize your force vectors, how the, the specific angle that that pistol needs to come out of the holster, where your shoulder and elbow point needs to be, et cetera, et cetera. Over thousands and thousands of repetitions, you will constantly refine the motions until you're shaving a split second off here, or a split second off there, you're tightening up your accuracy, and so on and so forth. So the adaptation constantly occurs, but it's usually in the physical dimension. And so as you get better and better at something, you engage more and more challenges. Now you're doing fast draws in the pitch black, engaging a target, and then reholstering in the pitch black and seeing how it all plays out over the course of a night, over a hundred nights, mm -hmm. over a thousand nights. And so physical adaptation is super simple. But what I didn't do was make the um, certainly not the emotional adaptations to the processes that were occurring at the time. And, you know, I, I don't want to say whose fault that was because I don't really think there's a finger to point. Um, it's partly my fault, I suppose, because hell, I, I should have done more reading and become more aware of how important it is to be, uh, emotionally, mentally, and physically aligned. Uh, but as it turns out, my, my tasks or my career path at the time was a lot of physicality, uh, a lot of mental, of course, but far less emotional. And so mm -hmm. I didn't do, I didn't make the time to learn that there was such a thing as mindfulness. No one introduced the idea to me. I wasn't doing the reading. I was unaware of the concept. Uh, mm -hmm. And conversely, the military uh, didn't introduce the idea to me at all. I didn't know it was a thing. And, and so it's it's now in a more modern time i will say i believe that i want to believe that uh, guys on on the path uh, within the unit or within uh tier 1 tier 2 or even uh, the regular military as a whole no matter what your trade is i would want to believe that there's some kind of mentioning of mindfulness and how to tie in the emotional and and physical aspects uh to the mental aspects i'm not sure is there uh there's there's mention of it in the reg force there's there's mention of it uh they kind of talk to me like you know what you should, you should be more mindful that's about it in tier one tier two there's much more direct this is how to be mindful. This is That's what, what I've heard. Do. Especially uh, at the Hill right now, it is very much in that direction because it's so important. I'm super glad to um, hear it. The difficulty, I think, you know, when you, when you, there's uh, the Musashi quote, when you see the way broadly, you see the way in all things, right? So once you actually understand 
once you can see what mindfulness is, then you can start going, oh, it's here. Oh, it's here. Oh, it's here. Oh, it's here. Right. Right. And there's so many times when I started learning about leadership and started following Jocko and understanding the concept of leadership and what that is. Then I started looking back at my career and going, oh, (laughs) (laughs) right. Yeah. Hindsight is 2020. Yeah. That's wisdom. Yeah. But on top of it, it allowed me to actually look at it and see there were people trying to teach me those lessons at the time, but I was not ready to see them. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's the the biggest part is being understanding that there will be times that, yes, it would have been great to have this information. It would have been great to be able to do this at X time. Sure. Doesn't matter. You weren't ready to see it. And had you been ready to see it, you would have seen it. That's right. People would. People would have told you that, right? I one point as an example I give, I had a guy come down and ask me if I wanted my uh, my EOD or not my EOD, my uh, counter IED course. So it's like it's not straight EOD; it's the precursor to it. So we we're just dealing with the bomb suit and just dealing with IEDs and the robots and all that stuff. Sure. And I was like, no, I don't want that. I want my HB, which is the actual EOD course but I don't want to do counter ID because you have to be, you're basically the, the, the bomb suit bitch for, you know, six, seven months while you're, while you're training. So all you do is kind of assist everybody else. At the time I was looking at that as a lesser position, right? Like I was just like, well, I don't want to be somebody's bitch for a while. I want to do the job. What I didn't realize and what I wasn't ready to learn or what wasn't, wasn't ready to understand at the point in time was that, <clears throat> By doing that, I learn the job, right? <laughs> and then once you've done the counter IED course and you're good at it and you're now a counter IED operator, then you go on your EOD course, then you get your EOD qualification, and then you're an EOD guy. But I didn't see the stages. All I saw was the destination. For sure. Right. And I, I tell people all the time that, you know, it's, you can't, um, the distance doesn't define the journey, right? You just have, you just have to look at the journey and say, okay, where's this taking me? Oh, the road's going left. Cool. All right. Look, road's going left. Let's see what happens. And if that doesn't work, cool. Maybe you might not, you might have to bushwhack a little bit to get back on course, but cool. Like, yeah, that's right. That's right. And you know, I had a, a parallel situation, uh, when I was serving and, uh, I'd been recently posted from two commando to pathfinder platoon hard bunch of guys uh, with high expectations. And I was a pretty young guy when I got posted to Pathfinder Platoon. Uh, I had some decent qualifications. I had a half decent reputation, but man, still, it was a shark tank in there. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I got sent off to do my MFP, my military freefall parachutist course. Uh, when I came back uh, pretty much the next day, I got bounced uh, when I came back to Pathfinder Platoon in in Petawawa. The next day, I was sent out to um, support the Pathfinder course that was running that year. And and as it goes, the Pathfinder course is pretty hard. And uh, the the <laughs> just a little bit, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and uh, the candidates, uh, you know, no matter who you are, it's 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 hard, and guys drop out uh, for a mm-hmm. variety of reasons. And so when I came off my military freefall parachutist course, a number of them had 
already left the course that they needed seconded uh, bodies, warm bodies to carry the loads, um, mm -hmm. a lot of specialized equipment. And so all of that stuff had to be humped around in uh, it, within the patrol uh, as a supporting member for the Pathfinder candidates that were running that year. And so I, I don't know, I think I did the last month of the course or something like that. And man, we got our asses whooped. Uh, I mean, I felt for the the Pathfinder uh, candidates because they were so in, so in the hurt locker, and so yep. you're eager to carry extra load uh, on their behalf, and and your load is already hard enough, but you just want to carry more for them. And so, yep. as I was doing that, I was like, "Oh, come on, this is a bit much." Like I am just getting beaten down here. I'm I'm a pack mule. Uh, but you know, during that, uh, supporting role, I learned a heck of a lot about what it meant to be on that course and, and, and what it meant for the guys on that course. So when I came, when it came time for me to do it the following year, um, I, I'd, I had a much better sense of why I was there. Um, and and I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, that that sort of pack mule face sucked, but uh, I wouldn't change it at all. I would I would do that suck year after year to get another shot on the Pathfinder course and do it right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you look back at it, especially when I look back at my own time and I look back at uh, all the stuff that I got to do and all the like, I used to think of my career as less than. Right, because I was I you know, I spent eight years in. I only got one tour. Blah blah blah. I even say that now. I only got one tour, but I got to do something that the average person. I mean, there's 34 million people in Canada, right? And I'm one person out of that, and I got to do something that only maybe 40,000 of us got to be a part of. Like Afghanistan as a whole, just like maybe 40,000 people. Um, and then even a smaller subsection of that is the engineers that went there that actually did the, the work to do the things that we got to do. I am in a very small group of people in terms of Canadian public that got to do that job. <laughs> and to diminish what we did, to diminish what we went through, to diminish the training or diminish the, um, the different skill sets that we gained and the different experiences that we were able to gain from it, it's just silly. It right? is, like it, for sure. To be able to, we have to look at it and be like, you know, this is actually, we are a very, very, very my, uh, small minority within the Canadian public. And we have to be able to utilize those skills. So how do we utilize it? We have to be good at what we do. And if we find something new to do, take the time. Be good at it. But I think the key is taking that time. And in the military, the time is given to you right? Like you're going to go on course. You're going to go on here. You're going to be supporting here. You're going to be doing that, blah, blah, blah. You're gone for three weeks. You come back, you do, and you're back to the job. But in everyday life, you now have to take the time. You have to actually prioritize something and go, okay, you know what? I'm going to take up jujitsu. That means I'm going to have you know, an hour to two hours, two to three times a week that I now have to fit into my 24-hour day. And if you don't allow yourself to take that time, you don't go anywhere. That's right. And it's uh, 
it, it's kind of sad to, to look at other people who will complain about, you know, I just don't have the time for that. And well, I think it's a priority issue, not so much like we all have 24 hours, right? If you want something, you'll fit it in there. You just have to want it bad enough. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very much a priority issue. And, um, you know, when when our two boys were growing up, as I said, I was a stay-at-home dad while doing a high-performance uh, race coaching. And mm -hmm. at the same time, I was also racing myself. And, and my sport of choice, my, my challenge of choice was 24-hour solo mountain bike racing, which means you race for 24 hours nonstop, nonstop. Mm -hmm. uh, you eat and drink on the bike. Uh, the you you one confirmed stop is uh, during the twenty four hour period is to put on night lights so that you can continue mm. racing through the night. Uh, you might stop to put on a shell or to throw on a, a pair of uh, pants or whatever the case is, depending on the weather yeah. conditions, etc. But overall, you're racing twenty four hours nonstop, and uh, it's a pretty hard challenge. And if you want to speak about uh, mindfulness, um, man, you can. You can only train so much, and and I, I was before I even started racing twenty four hour solos, and I've done thirty twenty four hour solos. Before I did my first one, I already thought I'm pretty tough. I've done a few things, you know. I I can I can embrace the yeah. grind. I know what the suck yeah. is. I, I got yeah. I got this. But like everything, man, it's you're tying on a white belt and a new skill set, and and that first one was a real eye-opener. I mean, I finished the 24-hour solo. I sure as hell didn't win it. And mm -hmm. uh, and along that along that way, I got my ass kicked a number of times in a number of different um, uh, areas, uh, just in that one single race. And, and so uh, I came away from it just with my head spinning, thinking, what the hell? But while I was suffering out there on the physical side, my mental game was still running the numbers. Okay, if I'm that person up on the horizon or that person 10 feet in front of me or that person half a kilometer ahead, that person 10 minutes in front of me, how can I make up mm -hmm. the time, blah, 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 whatever. And and so the physical aspect I could get with, the mental aspect was easy enough. It was the emotional side. While you're out there in the dark, turning those pedals with nothing else to think about because you, you're tired yeah. of doing the math. Now you're it's like all, up, all here, yeah. up in that. Yeah. And, and so that's, it's kind of interesting. You can be mindful uh, in a 24 hour solo race just because you have time and space to be able to consider your emotional state, not just how sucky it is at that moment, but other things yeah. that will bubble up through the suffrage, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I love hunting so much is that you put yourself in the middle of nowhere and all you got is you. That's right. And like you have a task, right? You're looking for animals and you're wandering, but you're, it's still sucky where I go hunting. I'm, you know, climbing a, a good, <laughs> these big ass fucking hills in, in Southern Alberta. And you're just up to the top. Hang out there for a little bit, down, up to another one, down, up to another one. And you just, that's all day. And you have nothing but you that's right. to sit there and think about. And, you know, if you're good with yourself, awesome. You can actually use that as a springboard to start thinking about other stuff and start doing, as you said, mind experiments and just playing things out in your head. And, uh, yeah, it's just such, such a great topic. This is one of the reasons why I love this podcast, that I get to sit down and just 
really long form this out right with somebody else. It's mm. it's just awesome. Agreed. Uh, so we've been rolling well over an hour now. <laughs> I just I wanted to be say, paying attention. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I uh, it's just been a fantastic conversation. I can't thank you enough. It has been so much fun listening. Um, is there anything that we missed? Anything that you wanted? Any last points you wanted to hit on? No, there isn't. I mean, uh, as you said, it's such a big subject. Uh, we could be talking till tomorrow and we still yeah. would have hardly scraped the surface. And and that's that's without introducing the idea of clinical uh, mindfulness or, I'll, for lack of a better term, I'll call it professional mindfulness. This is mm -hmm. just uh, a, an introductory start of the conversation to veterans and mindfulness. Um, so there's a lot of material that we could cover for sure, but we can, mm -hmm. we can save it for another day, or I'm sure there's someone who's better suited to having the conversation with you. The, the nice thing about this is that one of the reasons why I like this, the, the way I do this is that I can talk to somebody else about the exact same topic and get completely different. Yeah, answers, for sure. Right. Because what I want is your take on it. And then I, when I talk to somebody else, I'm going to get their take on it because, you know, everybody has their own little tools, uh, their own little subset, their own little way of looking at stuff. And sometimes those align with other people, but you have to hear it from them to go, oh yeah, somebody else is like that. Okay. Right, right, right. Maybe I should try whatever. And I like you and I have both been saying BJJ is definitely the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to get into it. It is a great start for sure. It I mean, it really is. It, it, but it's not for everyone. And so for the people that it isn't, you know, again, you have to go back to one of those early points. And that is right away, figure out if it's for you or not. And if it isn't move on, like do not, yep. don't try to get comfortable in something that you know is, is just not for you. Move yep. on quickly till you find the right thing for you and then start digging in. Yeah, exactly. Find that thing you love and then give her. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I think it's, Maybe important to say that uh, um, for anyone who's out there listening, um, I, I don't think I've got anything figured out particularly well. Um, and uh, if anyone was thinking that, well, hell, a tier one guy who has a background in X, Y, and Z should have some of this stuff squared away, mm, I don't. Uh, I'm no different than anyone else. I'm just bumbling my way through life, just mm -hmm. trying to do my best and. And anytime subjects like this come up, uh, I'm I'm willing to talk about them from my own perspective, but I don't have any secret sauce, that's for sure. I think everyone has their own little secret sauce. That's the best <laughs> part, right? You have secret sauce for you. Maybe. And that's good for you. Yeah. I have my own secret sauce. Uh, the tr Yeah, anyway, I just, I can't thank you enough, man. This has my been pleasure. fantastic. It's been a great conversation. And uh, if anybody wanted to find you or see your awesome videos of jujitsu in Roslyn, how would they do that? Uh, I'm not sure anyone should actually engage in that because you could use your time more wisely, but uh, I've, I've reduced my social media down to pretty much just Instagram. And, and if you are interested, you can go take a look at me. It's Sean Taylor's S-H-A-U-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R-S. And uh, other than that, uh, they can reach me through you or any other number of number of friends that I've got who know what kind of nonsense I get up to. Awesome. All right, brother. Again, I, I, 
I don't know how many times I'm going to thank you on this because I just I had a blast chatting. Me I've too. Been, I've been watching the time going like, uh, I want to keep going. But... My apologies, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's been awesome, brother. Thanks All for right, having I me will, on, uh, Hey, it's my pleasure, honestly, and I'm looking forward to the uh, the roundtable we're going to get at. This will probably come out afterwards, but sure thing. Doesn't Sounds good. All right, brother. All right. Primo. That concludes this episode of The Toolbox. I really appreciate y'all listening. It has been my pleasure bringing you this awesome guest. If you like what you heard, please like, share, subscribe, and do all that awesome stuff. And I hope you can use some of the information that was offered. To all those putting on the line every day, first responders, military, veterans, civil servants, you guys are keeping us safe and keeping the country running. I really appreciate y'all. Hope to see you next time. Till then, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. Thank you.